0: Welcome to Dropping In, a podcast of storytelling and interviews with your host, Winter Olympian Mercedes Nickel. Thank you so much for dropping in today. This is series 11, um, where I've gone to AI. I have had ChatGPT ask me questions in this 10-episode series out in the world right now obviously in the news about ai um it's november 25th 2023 and uh and i thought i'd get into it and see if this worked or not i know i hadn't really just like given the listeners and viewers anything about me since episode one, and we're in the 90s right now. We're in the 93rd episode, so um, this one will touch on challenges and triumphs. The previous ones, episode 90, I talked about early influences and beginnings, so the beginning of my career, what I did as a younger kid, how I got to where I am now, uh, mentorship and influences in episode 91, training and preparation was the last episode in ninety two. So this is episode 93, Challenges and Triumphs. Now let's hope the chat chat GBT asks me questions that I will be able to answer. Um, I have been doing the 10 rapid fire questions as I do with all my guests. So here we go. Uh, Number one, preferred mode of transportation. Do you prefer driving, biking, walking, or using public transportation? Fun fact, I do use amount of public transportation. Um it's really awesome. I live in Whistler, British Columbia, Canada if you're new to listening and uh I have like a free bus right outside of my house. So yeah, I use that when possible. Uh if I have the time, I do love walking. Um when I'm not like in a rush and I don't have to get a full sweat on. Um but I sometimes that's too slow, so I'll jog. If <laughs> if you know me, I'll do like jog tours. Um, around new places and also in my backyard uh, just is a little faster. And it keeps me a little bit fit because, you know, after retirement, you got to keep things tight, people would say. <laughs> I don't know if I'm tight or not. Anyways, uh, I have a lot of preferred modes of transportation. Favorite outdoor activity. What outdoor activity do you enjoy most, like hiking, picnics, or sports? I I feel like I thought ChatGPT was getting to know me, but maybe not. Uh, obviously, I love snowboarding, but I do love <clears throat> excuse me, I love golf. I'm like addicted to golf right now. It's a personal challenge for me. Morning beverage: Are you a coffee, tea, or juice person in the morning? Ha! Huh, none of the above. Um, you don't want to see me on coffee. It's like a drug, and I feel it in my veins. Maybe that's what, like what it's like for everyone, but I don't need coffee. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and it's super interesting whenever I go over to people's places, or um, I'm there for breakfast. Or do you want coffee? Do you want tea? I'm like, oh, let's have some water. I'm happy with water. I don't know, is that lame? Um, I did talk with Kelly, um, Booth about having like ashwagandha and um, cinnamon and and um, coriander, like all these things in warning morning boost. And I do like kind of gets my uh, my stomach going. So there's that as well. I feel like we've come a long way from just coffee or tea. Uh, favorite social media platform. Which social media platform do you find yourself using the most? That's funny. Um, I guess Instagram. I feel like I have like <clears throat> more conversations with people on Instagram. There's so many Ways to get in touch with people nowadays—it's um—it's becoming a little much. I might like throw my phone away one day. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that was uh, that was Instagram, my favorite social media platform. I tried. I wish I could say that I try not to be on social media that much, but I do have a two-hour limit. A timer on my phone and then it gives you the option like 15 more minutes and I'm like Ooh, 15 more minutes but it gauges like how long I've been on which which I like I appreciate that um five dream job as a child what did you want to be when you were a child and did you pursue that dream I'd have to ask my parents what I what I wanted to be because I can't remember. I'm probably like a firefighter. No, I don't want to do that. I've learned that lesson. Uh, and then I guess like you go into snowboarding, and I wasn't that young when I decided I want to be a snowboarder. So sweet. So is that is that like a check? A check mark? <laughs> uh, favorite type of cuisine? If you could eat one type of cuisine for the rest of your life, what would you eat? Something with a lot of things in it so I could like separate it and um not get sick of it like a cob salad with not ranch dressing i don't know cuz you got eggs you got bacon you got vegetables i don't know i guess that's weird i've never thought about that before <laughs> uh number oh gosh i hate this one i this is number 7 hidden talent do you have a hidden talent i've had that one before and i said it was um making a cup with my tongue Hidden talent. Oh, um, maybe a lot of you don't know that when I was um, in high school, I pretty much graduated through art classes, but also when I was recovering from my crash in 2014, I started painting again. So maybe that's a hidden talent that no one knows about. I do have a, an Instagram with all of my art on there, at Mercedes Nickel Art on Instagram. Uh, favorite fictional character. Who's your all-time favorite fictional character from what books and movies? Fictional character. Oh, um, okay, I'm, I should tell you what is popping into my head. And I was like, mm, Finding Nemo, mm, Princess Bride. I'm like just naming like my favorite movies. <laughs> favorite fictional character. I did just watch. Top Gun for, like, Top Gun Maverick for the millionth time. Um, (laughs) Could it be Maverick? Like, you learn a lot of lessons through him. I'm going to go with that. Maverick. Uh, Most relaxing activity. What's your go-to activity when you need to relax and unwind? I mean, probably... Reading a book. But I kind of get into reading books like real hard. So it's not that calming. So maybe it's watching, like it is November 25th, maybe watching a Christmas movie. You can judge me. That's fine. That's totally fine. Um, Number 10, preferred communication method when it comes to keeping in touch. Do you prefer texting, calling, or face to face conversations? That's an interesting question. It depends on the day, really. Like, I don't – nah, I love me a good FaceTime. Who am I kidding? I love a good FaceTime. <laughs> Even if it's just like on the phone FaceTime because I feel that technology is so awesome. Um, Yeah, I appreciate that. I do like a good in-person chit-chat too. Who doesn't? I mean, I guess introverts don't, but whatever. Okay. That was the 10 rapid-fire questions. Thank you so much, ChatGPT. Um, moving on. So, again, this series about challenges and triumphs throughout my snowboard career. And I can tell you that I had a lot of them. Um, I have uh, one friend online that said, I really want you to talk about um, – <laughs> there were some challenges. I haven't even asked, like looked at the questions yet, but um, – I did almost switch to snowboarding for the UK a couple times, as you guys have heard. My parents are English, and I have um, I hold the passport for the UK, and I did almost switch to the UK a couple times. So hopefully, we get into that with these questions as well. Uh, all right, how, okay. Navigating the sports system. Oh, how has the structure of snowboarding, the snowboarding sports system, influenced your career, both positively and negatively? Well, I can tell you right now for free that at first it was very negative, and now that I've grown 20 years plus um, beside and sort of working with Canada Snowboard, that it is getting more positive for sure. Um, The structure of it in the beginning, obviously, was a new sport. 98 was the first time that the um, Olympics had snowboarding in it, and Getting into Canada Snowboard, I kind of fell into it having gone from um, local competitions to provincial competitions to being asked to go to Junior Worlds and Junior na- Junior Nationals and Junior Worlds and all of these events. And then um, I did have opportunities to film with guys in the backcountry, but I didn't really know what that meant at the time. They were like, come out with us. And I was like, I don't understand what that means. Um, so, yeah, I kind of fell into – Working alongside with Canada Snowboard, but I will say that I did a lot of my own thing um, because the trust wasn't fully there with Canada Snowboard back in the day. So, and 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 as I said, I wanted to be on snow as much as possible. So, uh, once I graduated high school, I went down. Um, well, Roberta Rogers brought me down to summer camp at. Um, High cascade in Oregon. And I just kept going back there in the summers and made a lot of friends and decided that I wanted to move to Mammoth Lakes. I'd never like considered it moving to Mammoth Lakes. I just was like, no, I'm just there for the early season and I'm just there for the spring. But I'll leave a bunch of stuff at my friend's place <laughs> so that I can come back whenever I want. Um yeah, no, I spent a lot of time down in in California because that's where the snow was, and uh, it wasn't really part of Canada Snowboard's plan, and then it evolved into becoming part of Canada Snowboard's plan um, to have preseason there, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, no, I struggled a lot. There was not su- a lot of trust um, with, with Canada Snowboard back in the day when I was starting off, so I just uh, – I kind of did my own thing, and, uh, and it worked for me. Discuss any challenges you face within the sports system and how you've worked to overcome them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I didn't get along super well with um one of the coaches, and he was a skier. But now that I reflect back, he, he had some really good positive things to bring into the team, but I went from getting coached by amazing snowboarders at um, Super Pipe Camp, all professional snowboarders that kind of knew what they were talking about, to having a skier telling us what to do. And I was like, I don't fully trust you. Thank you so much. Um, And he would tell me the opposite of, like, what the snowboarders were telling me to do. And I was just like, this this isn't jiving for me. And uh, worked with him for two Winter Olympics and – Made it through, but also, again, as I said earlier, did my own thing because the trust wasn't fully there. I didn't fully buy into that, um, and which is totally fine. Like, and you're not going to love every coach that you get, and it is what it is. Um, but I uh, – before my second Olympics in 2010 – I was like, I'm, I'm going to the UK. I've had enough of this. And then I found out the Olympics were in Canada and having gone to my first games, I was like, Oh wait, I think I should, I want to stay with Canada and, and see this through. And, and, uh, we did have a shuffle with coaches. So, um, a lot of ups and downs and whirly rounds. But as I said before in my previous episode, that trust is really important when you have a coach. So, Overcoming those challenges, uh, I, I really did my own program. Like a lot of snowboarders thought that I was American because I was in the States like in Park City training when uh, the American team was there. Because I always knew where the halfpipe was going to be open and where it was going to be good. So I knew I wanted to be there. Um, that's just something that I, I took on uh, on my own which is pretty wild. I didn't even have a coach. A lot of people like had their own personal coaches. I didn't have my pers- a personal coach. I just like wanted to do what I wanted to do. And like it was really like, like looking, it was challenging because I didn't really have anyone super pushing me to do new tricks. But I knew I wanted to like perfect things that I had going. And, uh, and shout out to everyone that gave me little tidbits here and there because really I was just like – rogue and on my own. (laughs) But here we are. Uh, Okay. The role of coaches. Funny. We just talked about that a little bit. Can you share a specific instance where your coach played a crucial role in helping you overcome a challenge or enhance your performance? Again, I like huge shout out to my personal trainers. Um, I really relied on them a lot. And then I have talked about and just giving me like tidbits that super helped me. Um, and then I do want to talk about, uh, my friend Tim Orr. before I, but I know, I know the next episodes will get into Olympics, but he helped me out, um, and came out and coached me a day before the 2010 Olympics. And that every little tip that like, when you trust in someone and you go for it, it, it helps so much. Like, you know, if you listen, you're only going to really take away like one or two things. And if you have a coach just telling you like a plethora of things like this, 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 work on this, 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 um, you're going to take away like one thing at a time. And then you're going to build on that and then work through it. Um, Also, huge shout out to Joe McAdoo, who I hired as a coach in Whistler, who was so awesome. He like took me back to the beginnings and where I needed to be. And this was I want to say this was after the 2010 Olympics going into 2014, um, because I really wanted to get, um, bigger tricks and bigger spins in my, in my runs. And, uh, so we're talking about like it, trying to get a 900 and he was like, well, let's take it back to your 540. Um, so it, he was, he's an amazing coach and he works with the Whistler Valley Snowboard Club and, uh. He's worked with Darcy Sharp, who's a phenomenon right now, Um, and just he gets snowboarding and the way he breaks it down and makes you understand it is just is so awesome. So, yeah, that he he helped me for sure get the basics back and then so I could proceed to do bigger tricks. Uh, That was awesome. So many good people out there. Like I like to think that I did it alone, but I really didn't. (laughs) Uh, how do you collaborate with your coaches to set goals and strategies for your snowboard career? I didn't, I was naive and young and didn't, I didn't, people were like, set goals. And I was like, I don't, I don't, I was young when I was on the national team and I didn't really take in like what setting goals were and like writing them down on paper. Um, I more so was, I like to think living in the moment, which I don't know was a great, a great idea, but always in the back of my mind, I was like, I want to go like, and we'll talk about this in the next series. I want to go to the Olympics. This is this is the time and the moment that I decided I want to go to the Olympics. Um, X Games. Yes, I want to go to X Games. Yes, I want to do this run. And, and I think more so living in the moment with like, the, those, those were bigger goals, like the Olympics and X Games and World Championships. Those were bigger goals that were, like, always in the back of my head. But, like, when I was competing, it was I had a run that I wanted to do. And if the conditions permitted, then I was going to do it. But, like, you can't really get your mindset on a run that you're going to do because you don't know what the half is going to be like. You don't know if it's going to permit you to be able to – do the tricks in a certain way that you wanted to do them. Like say if I wanted to do a backside 540 on the first, on the first hit, but like that wasn't working and I had to drop in front side. Um, you had to be able to adapt. So setting goals in that essence of like at a contest, if I wanted to do a run was kind of a wash because you just had to go with the flow. But setting goals um, with our coaches – I think I was like, there in my head and I want them, but I don't want you to know that I want them. And I don't want other people to know that I, I want them. And now when you listen to everything, it's like, write your goals down, set your intentions, do this, do that. Tell people what you want because then it'll come true. Uh, I was not there yet in that mind frame for sure. Uh, I was just like kind of like a silent Goalkeeper in my head. <laughs> I hope that makes sense. Um, yeah, it's pretty wild. It's wild the way the brain works and and the way you set your mind to things. Uh, it's pretty special. Uh, okay, that was coaches. Okay, sponsorship and support. How have your relationship with sponsors evolved over the course of your career, and how do they contribute to your success? Well, I was lucky. Like again, I'll go back to. I started snowboarding in the mid 90s into the 2000s and beyond. Um, it was the heyday for snowboarding. And um, <laughs> I had some amazing sponsors. I had um, Powder Room Outerwear for like 10 years. And I loved that crew. And I wish that it was still the same crew because we had so much fun. We. <laughs> I'll just like give you a for instance. Um their clothes went from like okay to like great in the end. I was like I'm still wearing some of the stuff. It's 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 awesome. Um <laughs> we would every year have to do a photo shoot for the catalog. And and I now Looking back and not knowing what other companies did, other com- well, I didn't know back then that other companies would hire models to do this. But Powder Room and Rip Zone would have the athletes in their catalogs. Mind blowing, weird. Why wouldn't you do that? So awesome. But it always interfered. We would always have it in December when the first World Cup was happening, and it was like part of my contract. I had to go and do this this catalog shoot, which was always so much fun. Like our first one was in Germany. Um, and we, we flew there and I mean, we partied, but we got the shots and we're standing in like Germany, just like under amazing buildings, wearing snowboard gear, looking like sore thumbs, but it was super fun. Um, we, we went and We went to uh, Vegas a couple times. We went to the Lights Graveyard in Vegas, and then our final one, which was kind of my most favorite. (laughs) I remember we were. This is in Vegas too, and the theme was for the theme was weddings. So we went to all the chapels in Vegas. Um, in the girls catalog, the brides were wearing the, um, outerwear and the men were dressed as grooms. And then we had, (laughs) these were all teammates. It was so awesome. And then we had like bridesmaids and groomsmen and all of that. And so all of the kits, we are standing, like we're getting married and, uh, and then vice versa in the men. So we were all in wedding dresses and then – or bridesmaids' dresses and the guys were in their outerwear. It was like the most bonkers cool idea that we've ever had. And I remember being in Vegas and being like down there for 10 days. And uh, and I was like, I didn't really drink that much. Like that was a mellow trip 10 days. I could do 10 days in Vegas. And then I got on the plane. I'm like, Mercedes, you had 10 martinis today. Get out of Vegas. <laughs> I don't know what happens there. It's like wild. But uh yeah, no, we had like such a good time. But we had to like literally fly back from wherever we were in the world and go to um Colorado and compete like the next day. And that competition always fell on my birthday. So I don't really haven't really celebrated my birthdays. Um else in the world, but it is. So yeah, I had amazing sponsors. I rode for option snowboards, Canadian company. We talked about that. So <laughs> my board got stolen. It was an option. I got given a pro deal on a snowboard and then I ended up riding for option. Um, I rode an option board in my first uh, winter Olympics. And then uh, I started riding for Drake and Northwave uh, bindings, uh, B- Northwave boots and, uh, Drake snowboards, loved them so much. Uh, then I, uh, ended up riding for flow for a while, had such a fun time on that team with Andrew Muddy as the, uh, team manager, Scotty Lago, um, Antti Adi, like Tim Humphries, like super fun team to be on. We did a trip to Argentina that I loved. Um, and, uh, I wore road for ISI wear for like, ever until I switched over to uh, Smith in the later years. But yeah, IS, they were so good to me. Brad Martin was on them as well. And uh, shout out to Carl. Thank you for taking care of us because we always had to get specific um, goggles or straps made for the Olympics so that we wouldn't have to put like duct tape over them because at the Olympics, there's like strict rules on all of that. Uh, Yeah. So my sponsors were so awesome. I like – I had a ball with um, all of them and really couldn't have done it without them because I had travel budget and I was getting paid to snowboard. It was, it was awesome. Huge shout out. Uh, balancing world champs and X games. I did ask chat to talk about this because uh, a lot of people like it, the snowboard industries changed a lot. And, and we were talking about Canada snowboard earlier back in the day. Uh, we had to choose world championships with fists fell at the same time as the X games in the States. So one is like a very, like just in layman's terms, one is X games is for your sponsors and then world championships um, for an athlete in Canada is where you get your funding for two years if you do well at at those games. So it's, it was a hard pill to swallow as to which one I was going to choose. Being a Canadian at X Games is a lot different than being an American because I had Canadian sponsors. I didn't have like the lodging and everything. Oh, I do shout out to Runky because I also rode for K2 and Velvet like way before. Um, and he he helped me out. And that was cool to be on that team at X Games because there was like somewhere to stay uh, with the team. Um, But when I would go to world championships, you're you're with Team Canada and that's kind of sorted out. Um, But I had an amazing family friend that let me stay in Aspen at his place, um, which was all time. And my dad ended up coming down to X Games one year too. So it was like, I do really love X Games, but I had to make the hard choice um, a couple years to uh, the world championships happen every two years. And, uh, and I had to make that choice to go to uh, world champs to get my government funding just so I could have like a little bit more security, um, to do what I loved to do, uh, and get that, that money coming in, (laughs) but it sucked. I hated choosing between it. And the reason I brought in Canada Snowboard is because when you were trying to qualify for the Olympics, it wasn't on the list of of competitions that they saw as an entity to get you to the Olympics, and now they do. So a lot has changed for the better, um, and the point system—it—it it, just—it makes a lot more sense now. So I'm really dating myself, aren't I? <laughs> Okay, can you recall a specific instant where prioritizing one competition over another had a significant impact on your career? Yeah, I just talked about that. Um, I did end up getting the government funding, and then some. A couple times, uh, I remember this one specifically. We were in Korea. It was leading up to 2010. We had a film crew with us uh, from MTV and CTV, and they were filming. <laughs> I think I've talked about this before. They were filming a reality TV show of us. Um, it ended up being called Over the Bolts, and if you try and find it online, I don't think you can. But I have the DVDs um, behind me, <laughs> and all my friends want to watch it. I'm like, I have never watched it. I, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think people used to do like drinking games to it before the Olympics or something. Um, the, I don't even know where I went with that. Why? Okay, uh, we were in Korea. The film crew was there, and uh, and I had. I had Flo, um, had sent me a new snowboard and cause you always want to be on like the next year's gear so you can get photographed in it and everything. And my board was not performing. I was like, I don't know what is going on here, but I am not doing well. Ended up crying on camera. I don't know if they put that in the show, but I was like so devastated. I got 19th. I had to get 16th to get the government funding. There's a lot of pressure at, at those, um, at that competition. And, um, and I was like pissed and sad. And then I, I remember emailing Flo, being like, what happened here? They're like, Oh, that, that, that there's like, no, that board is like not an actual real Like there's nothing good in it. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> I was so mad. So the first thing you learn in your coaching, um, certification is your equipment really matters. Uh, yeah, that was a little bit of a bobble there. And I remember before that One World Champs, I was so definitely sick. I was, like, just surviving off of oranges and Ricolas. And Lori Glazier was my roommate, and I think Mayel was as well. And, again, we're all trying to get in that, like, top 16 to be able to get government funding. And – (laughs) um. I was dying and I think I, I didn't do well and I was sad again. But, you know, those are the the choices that you make in uh, in a snowboard career. You have to decide which competition you're going to go to and, you know, health is uh, part of it and you get drug tested. So <laughs> I couldn't actually take anything. That night, though, when it was over and I knew I wasn't getting drug tested, I took two nights well, after like three days of eating Ricolas and oranges. And I tell you I don't do drugs, but like... I felt like I was on the moon. I, was, I felt like I was like levitating in the bed and everything. It was well, <laughs> the night nurse. She really got me. <laughs> okay, that was X Games and uh, World Champs. Dealing with high stakes. Discuss the pressure associated with competing at high profile events how did you manage this stress and stay focused during competitions like x games well x games and the olympics are made for tv so a lot of the time you're kind of just standing there and you're you're kind of like okay so you're just going to tell the starter is going to tell me when to go cuz we're in commercial break um staying calm i think again that has to do with like my training and preparation where i'm like i just want to a good time I want to have like the giggles and like enjoy what I'm doing and get in the zone um and when I zone in the half pipe I like couldn't hear the crowd I couldn't hear anything you're just focused in on those tricks so um yeah dealing with that pressure it's yeah you get the butterflies but you just kind of take like also deep breaths I know if I was like freaking out I would do that like that um yoga breathing where you have one finger or thumb on nose and then like your third finger, your middle finger on your, on your other nose and breathe in one side and up and then breathe out the other side. (laughs) Look it up. It's good breathing. It really chills you out. Um, especially if you feel like the butterfly is coming in, sometimes deep breaths just weren't enough. So, so that's like, that's what I would do. A breathe. What a novel idea. Uh, learning from defeat reflecting on your career career can you share a defeat or disappointment that ultimately led to valuable lessons and improvements well I talked about that time in Korea and I was so devastated but then you find out that are, there are different ways to um, get funding um, to keep doing what you love and I mean now it's so funny I freaking like I love getting older because I look back on all these things and I look at like me playing golf now and I'll play golf with my dad and we'll be in a competition together and he'll get so serious, so serious. And I'm like, dad, we are just here to have fun. Like, let's chill out. Because for me, I, I haven't gotten into the rhythm of golf of being like overly competitive. If I have a bad shot, like I can still laugh about it because I can see that like determination and passion in my dad. And I'm like, Oh, that's what I was in snowboarding. Like I was that person. And it's not always a good thing. Like I was, I was talking to um, a family friend in Mexico about this and she's like, she's 83, an amazing golfer, June. And she's like, I always wanted that like dedication and like, that ability to, to be competitive, but she just doesn't have it. And I was like, I don't know that it's like always a good thing. Like I'm not always my best self when I was competing like that. And I, and I, and I feel bad for my teammates because yes, I'm competing against them, but I'm competing with them, but they have to deal with the emotions that come with setbacks um, even if they're thriving, it's just like such an odd environment to be in because it's an emotional roller coaster, and when it doesn't go your way, you can kind of be a horrible human. And I like to think, and I'll I'll have to talk to my I'll have to, I should do a series with all my teammates. Um, I did have Kaylin on here, and I've had Dom on, but we haven't talked about snowboarding back in the day. Um, and what it was like to all live together. Oh, that's pretty vulnerable. But yeah, that's what it is. You're like putting everything on the line to do your best. And when the outcome doesn't go your way, it's devastating. It sucks. But you know what? Back in the day, we had another competition to go to like the next weekend. So you kind of brushed it off and went on to the next. I guess that's how you you deal with defeat and have a little – a lot of hugs from Dom Valet. <laughs> support network. Oh, that's so funny that we just talked about that. Okay. How important is the support of friends and family in navigating the challenges and celebrating the triumphs in your snowboard journey? I didn't even read that before, but we just talked about that. Um my family was my family on the road. Wh- wherever I was, whichever group of friends I was with, if I was at High Cascade, I had that group of friends, and I loved them through and through. If I was on the road with my teammates, um, we went through a fair amount of teammates. I had Lori Glazier um, on the team with me. She retired, and then I had my record. She went to uh, snowboard Cross. I had Sarah Conrad. She came to two Olympics with me. Um, then I had the young guns, Kaylin and Alex coming up. Um, and I had Dom Ballet. It's just like, and the boys, like, well, Brad seemed to be there forever. We went to three Olympics together, but I mean, I had, um, Trevor Andrews on the team, like such amazing humans to have in your support, um, system. Michael Chuck, we went on trips with Michael Chuck, like, it was very, very cool. And then, and then we got the young gun, Derek, who's just retired now and he's coaching. So yeah, it was like a long, amazing career with such wonderful humans. And then I also got to like be around all the other nations, Holly Crawford, Tora Bright, Kelly Clark, Gretchen Blyler. Like we, we were all friends, but competing against each other. And that's what I love about snowboarding is like yes we're competing against each other but we also want everyone to do well. Uh so yeah, such an amazing support network. I don't talk about my family that much because um my dad really just came to X Games with me and a couple competitions. My mom's only really watched me at one world championships which happened to be in Whistler so she couldn't get away from that. Uh and then she came to 3 of my 4 uh Winter Olympics. So injury and comebacks. Let's talk about that in, uh, in the next episode. I don't want to keep you guys here too long. Uh, and I want you to know that the next episodes, episode 94 and 95 are about my Olympic journey. So I'm going to split that into two episodes, part one and part two, because not everyone goes for Olympics and that's a lot to cover. (laughs) Minutes. Um, career milestones. Highlight a specific milestone in your career that you considered a major triumph. How did you celebrate and reflect that achievement? Okay, this, I will tell you. 2010 Olympics um, was my best Olympics. You would think that would be highlight. No. The highlight was we went to um, – we, me, myself, and I, uh, <laughs> joined by other competitors that were also there. Right after those games, there was Euro X Games in teen. And again, shout out to my parents, uh, family, friends. I got to stay in an apartment there. Um, (laughs) This is what I did. You'll find out more about it in the next episode. Uh, And at those games, uh, I made it into the finals. And I landed my first Backside 900 in contest. And my mind was blown. It was so awesome. Uh, I do remember Elena Haidt being at the bottom, like really good friend. And and I didn't have a coach when I was there. I was just there on my own and they had like their American team coach. Elena didn't make it into finals. And I was like, what should I do in my next run? Should I do the 900? Should I do it? And she was like. Obviously not the most happy because she didn't make finals, but she's still a good friend and kind of just like listened to me talk out loud. And then I went for it and I ended up fourth at those X Games, and I was ecstatic. So, so, so awesome. Um, I mean, a lot of ups and downs in my career. I yeah, I'm glad I didn't switch to the UK. Um, I do love competing for Canada. And the sports system is difficult. I currently, for the past seven years, have been uh, chair and help building the Athletes Council for Canada Snowboard. That's why I think it's getting a lot better because they're actually listening to the athletes and what they want and things to make it better for athletes. Um, that's my give back to Canada Snowboard. Uh, rather than just being angry at them, I wanted to uh, work with them and and make sport better for athletes. So A lot of ups and downs. You never know where you're going to end up. (laughs) I will be talking about um, how I wanted to go to the Olympics and everything Olympics in the next two episodes. So thank you so much for dropping in today with my challenges and triumphs uh, of my snowboard career. I know there's much more to share ask me questions, hit me up on Instagram and Facebook at dropping in with Mercedes or on Twitter at Mercedes Nickel. Uh, you can always pop by the website, put in a comment that is dropping in.com, dropping in with Mercedes.com. And uh, don't forget to head over to Cryer Media because there's a lot of fun blogs on there. Dean Blundell is a character. Uh, and you can also see past episodes um, of mine on there. And uh, thank you. Thank you so much for dropping in today. I really appreciate all of you. Thanks so much for dropping in today. You can find everything you want to know about dropping in with Mercedes at droppinginwithmercedes.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Thanks DJ Kenosis for the music and my mom for the intro voice. (laughs) Do 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 the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at BroadcastDialogue.com or your favourite podcast app. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer.